good to see you here this evening at our five o'clock teaching service. And um, uh, we were singing Light of Flame, and that's the uh, theme, really, of our seven o'clock services, uh, the Holy Spirit fire service. Not that we're claiming anything by that, but we are pursuing something by that. We are looking on Sunday evenings for the Holy Spirit to have his way and do what he wants. And also the greatest prayer is that he would do a great work in our hearts, that he would ignite our hearts and put fire in our hearts. So at uh, 7 o'clock we spend more time worshipping him in his presence, just praying, just unhurried and unrushed doing what God wants to do. And recently the Holy Spirit has been moving in uh, words of knowledge at the 7 o'clock service, and uh, I thought I'd just read an email that I got just to show you the sort of things that are happening at the 7 o'clock, if you're not aware. Um, This was last Sunday evening. Pastor Bruce, my name is Nancy, and you gave me a word of knowledge today, that was Sunday, in KT 7 p.m. service. When you asked people who were born in Paris to come forward, you said there is a Joseph anointing on you. This is on Nancy. I tried to control my emotions, but I was moved and touched by the Holy Spirit as I acknowledged straight away that this word came from God. A few years ago in Paris, my pastor prophesied privately on my life, and among the things he said, he said to me, there is a Joseph anointing upon your life. Years passed, I went through rejection, false accusation. I'd been despised, all that because of God's calling in my life. And instead of seeing it as part of the process, I became rude and stopped trusting people by being afraid to be rejected. This Sunday, as I was fasting and praying, God used you to give me this word again, and I want to bless God so much for the instrument that you are. God has not forgotten me. His word is yes and amen. Thank you for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's not over until God says it's over. I was sad lately, not understanding why I felt so alone and misunderstood, why things seemed to be be late in my life, why I felt rejected. But God used you to remind me that he has a plan for my life. And because of this Joseph anointing, I will have to go through the process and wait patiently for God as he uses me to be a solution in all these places where he leads me. I just wanted to share that with you because um, sometimes what happens, and she's going to talk a little bit about it this evening, is you, you know, you're moving in words of knowledge, the Holy Spirit speaks, and and. What you don't know is that when you're moving out in words of knowledge, you don't know the impact that it has on people because you're just stepping out by faith. And also last Sunday evening, um, when we were calling people who were born in Paris, that was the leading. If you're born in Paris, come forward. And uh, we had uh, two brothers. I didn't know they were two brothers when they came up. Um, And the Holy Spirit called them powerfully into the ministry, and when we spoke to them, they said that this is what their mother had been praying for and speaking over their lives for years and years. And we don't just leave it at that. Um, uh, Colin, our senior minister, has got very strong uh, calling to the French-speaking world. He's going to follow up. He's going to meet with those two young men raised in, um, raised in London, born in Paris. And so when God releases the prophetic spirit, uh, it's not just something that happens in a service. It changes the, the, the course of people's lives, it encourages people when they're going through a difficult time, but, but also what it can do is it can ignite something, it can release gifting in, some, in, in somebody. So these are the things that we are opening. Maybe the Holy Spirit will move in healing tonight, we don't know, maybe in worship, maybe in prayer, but at the seven o'clock service, we're just waiting on the Lord. I always prepare a word, a prophetic word from the scriptures like I've had on my heart, recently, Gideon, and, um, and I speak as the Holy Spirit leads me on that prophetic leading, but I don't focus on preaching or teaching, not like I do here, or if I was speaking at the morning, because we just want to spend time in the Holy Spirit's presence. So I wanted to share that with you. Now, we've been looking in this series together about the school of the Spirit, and that in our lives, the most important thing is that we are understanding the ways of the Holy Spirit and cooperating with the Holy Spirit. So the principles of walking in the Spirit, we've looked at many things since we started this in October and we'll be continuing right through November. We've looked at the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the purity of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And last week and the week before, I've been speaking really about how God purifies us 
and works in our heart because God's main aim in life is not even to bless us with things or to give us breakthroughs. God's main aim in our lives is to mold our hearts into the image of Christ. That, that's God's greatest plan. You say, God, what's your plan for my life? What, what's your agenda for my life? His greatest agenda is that your heart would be filled with Jesus, that everything else is totally secondary to him. That's why sometimes when we're looking at our life and we're saying, why hasn't this happened? Or why hasn't that happened? Or why hasn't the other happened? And we say, God, why aren't you doing things? And, and, and God will often be saying, because I'm working in your heart and that's my priority. Our priorities are often that things happen. Things change. God answers this, that, and the other. We do this. We, our, our, our emphasis is usually on outs, what's happening in our circumstances. But God's agenda and priority is always what's happening in our hearts. In fact, if we want to see circumstances change and, and see progress in our outside life, career, whatever it might be, then what we should do is prioritise God's priorities that's in our hearts and that will quicken some of the circumstances. Sometimes things don't happen in our lives because God is still waiting for something to be changed in our Heart. So the quickest way that we can move forward in life and life events and life circumstances, the key to the, to the outside things that we want to see changed is to allow God work on the inside things. Whereas often we're too focused on the circumstances that we want changing and not concentrating at all on what God is doing on the inside of our lives. Change your priority to God's priority and you'll see big changes. First of all, in your heart, but then you'll see big changes in your circumstances. The reason that some people never see change in their circumstances is because there's never change in their heart. Uh, the, the children of Israel went round and round in the wilderness, the same circumstance for 40 years. Why? Because there hadn't been change in their heart. But those that allowed change in the heart, the new Joshua generation, they had an, a, ch a change in their experience at the right time when they entered into the promised land. Now that doesn't mean that, that, that sometimes we still have to be patient, but that patience is working in your heart. So the quicker we learn the lessons that God is teaching us in, the, in our heart and our inner life, the quicker we are ready, and God will be ready, to progress the outer circumstances. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's a prophetic word for you five o'clockers tonight. That really is a prophetic word. Now, we, we, we've been looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, we looked at the day of Pentecost, Romans chapter 5 tells us that the Holy Spirit was poured into our hearts. He poured the love of God into our hearts. That's where the Holy Spirit works. That's where the seed of God, the word of God, the sower sows the seed in our hearts. When we try to change from the outside in, we get into a mess. That's called Pharisaism. I've mentioned that the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that, that, that ever was ever preached, Jesus' sermon from Matthew 5 onwards, the Sermon on the Mount was all about the Spirit-filled life. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about what goes on on the inside and actually rebukes just outward conformity. You Pharisees, you don't commit adultery, you don't act, do the act of adultery. Well, so what? You've got it in your heart. You Pharisees, you don't actually commit the outward act of murder. Well done, I don't think, because you murder people in your hearts. Um, you know, you that pray, you pray outwardly so everybody can applaud. Well, you've got your reward. You that give, you make sure everybody sees the check. Well, you've got your reward. It's what you do in secret. It's what, the, it's what nobody else sees, but God sees. All these themes, blessed are the, are the meek, blessed or the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that give mercy. These are all speaking about things in our hearts. And so that brings us today to speak a little bit more in detail about the importance of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've seen, I just gave you a testimony of how the, a gift of the Holy Spirit, a word of knowledge and prophecy, can unlock people's ministries, encourage somebody in a difficult place. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is God's aim for your life. God doesn't make us more like Jesus by us just stopping doing things and starting doing other things. It's not 
outward. But God changes us by bringing principles and virtues into our heart that then express themselves. So it's not about a list of things that you should do right as a Christian and a list of things that you should no longer do as a Christian. Do those lists and you'll be fine. No, that's not the way it works. What it is, is to look into your heart and to see how these different principles and characteristics of the Holy Spirit are growing and manifesting in your life. And so it's all about how are these principles working inside and coming outside. That's how you're sanctified. Holiness is never outward action. It begins in the heart. Out of your heart, Jesus says, proceeds all manner of evil and proceeds all manner of good. And so when we come to the the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to read three different passages, and there's more, that deal with principles and characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that we should increasingly be seeing in our heart, our lives, our actions, and our reactions. But increasingly, it's in the heart we need to see these manifest. Then we'll see them in, in, in our lives as they come out of our heart. The first list... Galatians 5, verse 22, just having spoken about the works of the flesh, all the things that happen in somebody that tries to live life without God. But here we have the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's his character being manifest in our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Can you imagine, today we are commemorating, uh, world, 100 years ago, World War I started, the war to end all wars that simply led into another world war. And the wars and the strife and the fighting that's going on in the world, not just in physical battles and warfare, but the battles in relationships, the battles in families, the battles at work. Can you imagine a community, a group of people, or a world, and if you were to describe this community of people, you'd say, well, they're loving people. They're joyful people. How can I describe them? They're they're peaceful. They're peace-loving people. They seek peace. They're always trying to bring peace into situations. They're always trying to, to, to make things work. Not only that, they're patient with one another. When people make mistakes, when people do things wrong, they're patient with them. They're kind to one another and generous and open-hearted. This group of people, you know, they're just good people, really. And they're faithful. When when, when people are faithless, they they keep trust in them. And they're, they're gentle, gentle with those that they have power and authority over. And, and they have self-control. Well, what a wonderful neighborhood that would be. What a wonderful city that would be. What a wonderful nation that would be. What a wonderful world that would be. If those characteristics that I've just mentioned were actually what, what, what the description of you and I, the church, a city, that's God's aim above all aims. Now, that's Paul speaking about the fact that we don't need laws and regulations if we have these characteristics increasingly in our lives. So if I was to say, if, if, you were, if I was to ask the question, how holy are you today? I wonder how you'd answer it. Oh, well, I'm reading my Bible every day. Oh, well, I, I've stopped doing this and started doing that. And uh, How holy are you today? Well, in this passage, you'd be saying things like this. Well, do you know, I'm more peaceful than I used to be with others. Do you know what? I, I'm patient. I'm growing in patience and, and joy. And I'm kinder and generous than I used to be with people. Uh, I'm faithful, I'm more forgiving. These are the things about how you are developing, not just what you are doing. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, because there again we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's who you are that matters, not what you do. Because who you are will end up being what you do. This is what we are meant to be. These descriptions are meant to be who we are. And you say, well, you know, some of those... I'm nothing like, don't, don't worry about it. Let God work in your heart. This is why I think times like devotional times and seven o'clock service are times where we can just let God get into our heart. 
and do some digging and some weeding in the garden of our heart and allow the right fruit to grow and allow the thistles and thorns of the flesh to be cut and weeded out of our lives. It's important what is going on in your heart. It really is. God is interested to open our heart to him and and to say, wow, I'm bitter here. I've got real bitterness in my heart or real anger or jealousy in my heart. You need to take that to God and say, where is this coming from? And Lord, you know, I need to trust you that you know what's best for me, not be jealous about what other people have. You, you deal with these issues and then God brings forth these faithful. You know, how can you love your enemy if you haven't got a work of God in your heart giving you strength so that you can actually go out and forgive somebody and do that? That's only a work of God in our hearts that can produce that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, the Corinthians are fleshly. The Galatians are fleshly because they're full of rules and regulations, laws. They're Pharisees. They started in the spirit, but now they're trying to be matured by the flesh. It was all about what you wore on Sunday. It was all about how you spoke. It was all about what you gave. It was all about how you acted. It was all about the front, the outward act. And and Paul was saying, no, it's nothing to do with those things. It's to do with your heart. The Corinthians were the opposite end. They, they were full of fighting and jealousies and, and partying and, and fleshly, just trying to gratify all the fleshly desires. And they loved power and they loved the gifts of the Spirit. Well, Paul said these things don't mean anything without God doing a work in your heart because God's priority is that you as a person are changing in the image of Christ and that the description of the fruit of the Spirit is increasingly, it's a process, is increasingly becoming a description of you. And where there are areas where you are very low in a certain fruit of the Spirit, that's where you go to God. You say, Lord, why, why am I so impatient? Why am I, Lord, what's going on? Why am I impatient when you're so patient with me? Lord, you're in control. Maybe I need to pray over these situations instead of try and force them instead and trust you instead of trust myself. Remember, the works of the flesh are always you trying to make it happen yourself. The works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit are always you speaking to God and and praying to God and letting him do the work in you and in the circumstances. The fruit of the Spirit, it takes high, high levels of trust and faith. You've got to really trust God if you're going to forgive your enemy. Because what if your enemy just laughs at you when you forgive them and keeps on being your enemy? Well, you've just got to trust your Father in heaven that he's in control. So the fruit of the Spirit is increasingly not trusting the devices of the world and trusting God. In other words, unless God's, God does it, unless God is real, unless God is, co- is in control, and you're believing that with faith, you can't manage the fruit of the Spirit. When you begin to doubt God, when you begin to doubt your prayer life, then you will end up in the flesh. I've seen it in my life. When I am moving in trust in God, when I am bringing things to God in prayer, covering things in God in prayer, trusting God, when I'm worried about something, instead of being fleshly, I pray it, pray through until I'm not worried anymore. When I begin to pray things, trust God's and go God's way, then I know that God is working strongly in my heart and things are changing. But when I get fearful, when something goes wrong, when I have a faith fainting fit, when I have one of those downers, you know, where's God and everything, it's not working, God, then what happens is I begin begin to move away from the fruit and I begin to to get impatient. I I begin to get angry. I, I, I begin to get jealous. I begin to get scheming. I begin to, what's happening? I'm shifting my trust from God. I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from trusting God. And I'm beginning to say, I'm going to have to step in here. I should have that. How dare that person speak to me? What am I doing? I'm going to go out and sort it out myself like, like the world does. What's that? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. So you need high levels of trust in God or increasingly higher levels in trusting God in order to manifest these fruits. And so at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is saying, look, you can have all the outward things, but if you don't have love, now the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, etc., well, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then you've got nine fruit, love. Now, actually, you've got eight 
fruit. Because it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. The fruit, singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. But then the question is, what does love look like? You know, you can speak to so many people. Wherever you, sp- you can talk to anybody, it seems, in the world today and ask them to give you a definition of love. Nobody really knows what it is, do they? Nobody really knows what it is. What is love? Is it a, what is love? You know, how do you, how do you understand the qualities of love? Well, love is, fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Then, if you joy, patience, peace, gentleness, faithfulness, that's what love looks like. And so here, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, all those fruit, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all ministries, mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, imagine having these powers. I mean, you, you, would, be, you would be on every Christian TV program almost immediately if you had prophetic powers, knew all mysteries, all knowledge, all faith, so as to remove mountains. You'd fill auditoriums, wouldn't you, with that? Everybody, you know, the world would flock. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. If I give away all I have, biggest offering ever given, and I deliver up my body to be burned, if I die for what I believe in, but don't have love, I gain nothing, nothing. God's not impressed. Now, love is. And then we're going to have some more descriptions of the characteristics that God wants us to foster. They're not human characteristics, they're God characteristics. It's God rubbing off on his people. It's it's God's anointing, God's characteristics becoming ours. We're becoming more like God. These are not human traits. You can't say, well, I've always been quite a patient person, and when I became a Christian, I brought that patience in. It's not that patience. The fruit of the Spirit is as supernatural as the gifts of the Spirit. And when you begin to see some of these characteristics growing in your life, you will be as surprised as that lady was when she had the word of the knowledge about the Joseph anointing coming back to her. You'll be surprised. People will be shocked and surprised at the change in your behavior and the way that you treat people. The fruit of the Spirit have more impact on the world than the gifts of the Spirit. Truly, God-worked fruit in your life, God's fruit coming out of your has more impact, changes more lives, touches more lives than prophecies, miracles. We've got it all upside down as Pentecostals. Well, you know, sometimes it actually makes me sick when a miracle takes place. Because someone, a miracle takes place of healing. And we, we want to shout it, we want to stick it in our magazines. It's like, oh, give me a break. So God's healed someone, so what? What's a greater miracle is somebody who's kind in the church of God. Someone who's patient, someone who's forgiving. Somebody that would rather uh, go under with God than stay afloat swinging their fists. I'm more impressed with people's Holy Ghost character than I am with their Holy Ghost anointing. Anybody can prophesy, anybody can do a word of knowledge. God can do healings and miracles whenever he wants. He can take a donkey and prophesy. Now, I'm not discounting those things, as you know. That's what seven o'clock is is often about. But I am putting them in their proper place. But neither is the fruit of the Holy Spirit just a nice person. The fruit of the Holy Spirit are powerful traits that only God can be. A non-Christian who is not born again cannot produce any of these things. None of these things. It's impossible for them. They They don't have the Spirit in them. They're not born again. You hear what I'm saying? So, so don't think this is, this is like the nine fruit of the Spirit, nine new laws. Try and be more patient. Try and be more kind. Try and be more faithful. Try and be more self-controlled. Try, try. No, you have to, it's got to come from within. You've got to say, Lord, help me in these areas. And you've got to let God speak to you. God do a work on your life. It's going to take praying and opening and trusting and acting in ways that are counter to the way that you were born. You were born in the flesh. Your natural man, your natural woman is fleshly. But when you are born again, you've got a new man, you're a new woman. And so what you have to do is, as we've been speaking, renew your mind. Stop thinking in the ways of the world. God's ways are not the world's ways. He's turned things right side up. 
And that means that you will do things and say things that are totally the opposite to the way anybody else would do it, but you're doing it because it's the fruit of the Spirit and because you're trusting God. You're trusting God. These are so important because without what I'm teaching you today, you'll never change. You'll just, be a, you'll just be outwardly struggling instead of inwardly being renewed. So love is patient. There we go. Kind. Now look at this. Love does not envy or boast. If you boast, and you know, most people when they boast, they don't even know they're boasting. Oh, I was only joking. No, you were boasting. Oh, you were putting someone down with sarcasm. Oh, it was just a joke. It wasn't a joke. It wasn't a joke. It was boasting. No, no, we're just having a laugh. You're not having a laugh. God's not laughing because it's not in his list. Uh, cynicism is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Sarcasm is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but it's funny. Well, you know, go and laugh with the devil then. Love does not envy. Now, is there envy, envying in your heart? There might well be. And if there is, don't be discouraged. But that's where the Holy Spirit wants to work. Does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's powerful stuff, this, isn't it? It's not irritable. Help me, Lord. Or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear about so-and-so, the preacher that fell? Well, you know. Ha. I always thought there was something wrong with him. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And look at this. Love bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And love never ends. Then verse 13. So now, faith, hope, and love. Abide. These three, but the greatest is love. Don't you want to be like that? I know you do. If you're a Christian, you do. No matter what mess you're in, or how badly in the flesh you are, you know, deep down, you want to be patient. You want to be kind. You don't want to envy anymore. You don't want to boast. You don't want to be arrogant or rude. You don't want to insist on your own way. You don't want to be irritable or resentful. You don't want to laugh at people when they go through a bad time. You want to rejoice with good things. You want to bear things, believe all things, never give up, hope all things, endure all things. This is how God has made your new nature. And your new nature wants to express itself in these ways by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God's priority. Most Pentecostals can name the nine gifts, but most Pentecostals could hardly name two or three of the fruit of the Spirit. Yet these very things that we're looking at, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, here in 1 Corinthians, these very things that we're looking at is God's main work. It's his priority that we should display and grow in these virtues. Not overnight. You'll make mistakes. You can guarantee that if I speak on patience, probably in the next week, I won't be patient. And when that happens, you feel, oh, how can you preach on the fruit when you've just exhibited the flesh? And you feel like stopping, but don't stop, grow. Don't be discouraged, don't be disheartened. Tomorrow's another day, learn from your mistakes. You know, if you get angry, work out why you're angry. Ask the Holy Spirit and make sure that that doesn't happen again or, or, or that you're ready. You know what I'm saying? Grow, 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 grow. It's fruit. It grows. Grow, grow, grow as a person. Grow as an individual. This is who you are. The things that are the flesh, the irritabilities, the arrogance, the rudeness, it's not who you are. Not really who you are. I remember one of the most powerful experiences of my life. It, it's an illustration of this. I, when I went to school, I went to a very small school in the Yorkshire Dales in a village. It was a country uh, school. And the headmaster was, was a very strong Christian. And, um, and I really loved him. He was like Jesus, you know, small boy. It was infant school. He was like Jesus. And he, he really exhibited all the fruit of the Spirit, or many of them anyway. It was so wonderful. And, um, and we loved him. And he loved us, and he loved the Lord. And I remember 
what one day I was in the playground and I did something a little unkind. And so I was told to go to the headmaster's office. And so I sat in the headmaster's office waiting for him. I was frightened. I was frightened I'd let him down. We all loved him. And what was he going to do? And I thought, I'm going to get really told off for my unkindness in the, in the playground. And he came in and he sat down and he looked at me and he said, you know what? This isn't you, Bruce. This isn't the caring Bruce that I know. This isn't the respectful Bruce that I know. This isn't the sensitive Bruce that I know. This isn't the one that looks out for other people's needs, Bruce, that I know. This isn't you, Bruce, and I don't want to see it again. Off you go. I was stunned. Because I was expecting to be told off. In fact, it was almost worse than a telling off. Because I felt, as I went out, I thought, yeah, how awful, this isn't me. And what had he done? He'd focused on who, I, on who he, on the positives, who I am. And you know, that had such an influence on a seven, eight, nine-year-old, I can't remember, that I'm talking about it today. Isn't it amazing how something can stay in your heart for good or for bad, talking about it today? Well, this is what God says to us when we work in the flesh. And he says, that's not who you are. That's not what I recreated you to be. That's not you. That's not you. I want you to change. But sometimes in our mind, we have these patterns because we think that's how we make things work. We have to discard, repent, walk away from false ways of making life work that are not in line with the fruit. And then we have to believe God and trust God that if we go his way, our life won't be demolished. That we don't have to fight for ourselves anymore that instead of fighting for ourselves, we go to the Lord about it, leave it in his hands, ask for his guidance, and know that increasingly, whatever happens, we will go by God's principles rather than by the enemy's principles. You hear what I'm saying tonight? Uh, let, let's go to, uh, there's another, there's so, many, so much of the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament. This is how we get holy. Let, let's go to something that I, I was writing last week. Um, I have to finish my book on James by the end of November, so I'm under pressure. But, um, but let, so I'm writing a book on James that will be out next year, God willing, uh, that partners with my book on Galatians called No More Law, where I go, if you get the book, No More Law, um, I've got a whole section on the fruit of the Spirit and the things that I'm talking about, if you're interested. But, um, yes, sorry, James. Let's go to James chapter 4, I think it is. Oh no, it's 3, going into 4, 3. James 3 verse 13. This is all about the fruit of the Spirit right through James 4. It's amazing how much James speaks about being born again with the eternal seed that's in you and taking off all the filthy rags of outward acts and letting things in the heart come out. And then he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit here in James 3.13. But he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. He calls it wisdom from above or divine wisdom. It's the same thing, but he's calling it divine wisdom. He says, who is wise? He's just spoken about people using their words to harm and to destroy. The tongue is such a, a, a fire and who can control it if you can tame the tongue? then you are a mature Christian. But we'll leave that and go in. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. What's he talking about? He's talking about the works of the flesh. These are works of the flesh. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, boasting. It's earthly. It's the way the world acts, the way the unregenerate acts. It's jealous, it's selfish, it's ambition. He says, for where jealousy, selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You see, until the church begins to corporately manifest higher levels of the fruit of the Spirit, we're of no use to the world. What's the point having a worldly church telling the world what to do? They can see right through it. 
The world can see right through worldly Christians. You know, it's like we, we, tell, we, we say, do as we say, not as we do. No, thank you. And why would the world want to become worldly Christians? The world does the world far better than worldly Christians, even though we have a good job go at it. It's earthly, unspiritual, it's demonic. And when the works of the flesh instead of the fruit of the Spirit get into the community of God, then what happens? We're so busy trying to deal with the fighting and the conflict and the um, ambition and the disorder and the practice. We spend our whole time disciplining one another, trying to sort things out, trying to keep things happen, trying to have another meetings, calling in the pastor, calling in the cell leader. And because of the flesh, we're so busy biting and devouring ourselves. That's what uh, Galatians says. Be careful that you don't use your freedom to bite and devour. Biting and devouring going on in the church and the world is going to hell. This is very important. So, this is wisdom that comes from above. Sorry, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every evil practice. But, the wisdom from above, this is the fruit of the Spirit again. The wisdom from above is first pure. That's beautiful. A wise person is pure. In order for us to be wise in any given situation, we first have to take our motivations to God for decontamination. You see, sometimes we as Christians are acting in self-righteousness. But actually, if we're, work, if we're doing things in the flesh, then self-righteousness is at the root of the flesh. Well, I'm just going to. Well, I'm going to sort this. I'm, oh, I'm offended. I, I'm. Self-righteousness is at the root. And so we constantly, what, and this isn't a religious thing, constantly we have to be taking our heart to the Holy Spirit and asking, God, where am I in this? Why am I reacting in this way to this person? Why am I, you know, jealous? Why am I envy? Why am I angry? Why am I bitter? Why, why, am, why Lord? You've got to take, say, Lord, help me here. Why is it... Somehow it's not trusting you. Somehow I don't believe you're going to come through for me. Somehow I think that my future's in the hands of somebody else, maybe my boss or somebody, and therefore if they don't give me what I want, then I've got a pro- Is it in your hands, Lord, or not? And you weigh your motivations. You know, when, if I have to pull somebody up or confront someone, for a, I weigh... I, Weigh my, I have to weigh my motivations firsthand. Because anybody, including myself, can just fly off the hook angrily and deal with somebody. You have to weigh up your, you have to be careful, you have to weigh up your motivations and think, wait a second, if I am going to confront somebody, it's for their good and the kingdom's good. It's not just, I'm going to bash somebody. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying anybody's perfect, but you've got to weigh up your motivations because you can go in and tear a strip off somebody. Well, is that what God wanted you to do? Is that the best? Would you like someone to tear a strip off you? You know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. So you've got to think, you know, no, if I was in that situation, this is how I'd want to be spoken to. You hear what I'm saying? You have to weigh up your motivations. The purity of motivation here in James is the opposite of being stirred by jealousy, ambition, or anger in the context. So he says, don't be have selfish ambition, don't be bitter, don't be jealous, don't be boast, all these things we read in Because if, if you have those things, then it's the wrong motivation to deal with the circumstance. More than spoke, focusing on the speck in someone else's eye, we're to remove the log in our own. We need decontamination and purification of our hearts, and that's on top of God's ad- agenda. He he wants to purify our motivations. And the only way that happens is by going to him and saying, God, I don't understand my heart. No one can understand the heart, but you can. The moment you think you know what's going on inside you, you're a fool. You are a fool. If you think you understand your heart, you're a fool. But you take it to God and he'll help you with it. He'll help you with it. He'll bring the principles of the fruit of the Spirit And those principles of the flesh you can take to him. That's what crucifying the flesh is, taking it to Jesus' cross. Thank God Jesus wasn't bitter, he wouldn't have gone on the cross. That's what crucifying the flesh is. Thank God Jesus wasn't jealous, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. He'd have stayed and fought his corner. 
Thank, Je- thank God that Jesus wasn't angry. He wouldn't have gone to the cross, would he? He'd have called down those angels. to do- You see, Jesus on the cross is the perfect fruit of the Spirit in perfect action. So when we crucified the flesh, it's not that we're like, try harder, try harder not to be like that. No, no, no. You're taking it and asking the Holy Spirit to do a genuine work in your life in these issues. And then when you meet that person that you're so bitter against, you've been working it in your heart and you speak words of faith, of reconciliation, and that brings healing. And 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 whether that person accepts them or not, God is doing a work in your heart. This is what life's all about, friends. Tired of wars and battles and millions of people that are killed in these world wars and the fighting that's going on all today. What is it? The flesh. And if God can't start in the church by bringing the fruit and principles, I'd rather go down operating in the principles of the Spirit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, generosity, than stay up in this rat race, fighting and clubbing and and, and suspicion and anger and hatred and manipulation. I'd rather go to be with the Lord. I'd rather go to heaven. I'm sick of the rat race. I'm sick of the bitterness. I know we're frail and human. We need to be patient with one another. I understand that. I'm tired of this crap. I want something authentic in my life. I want to see, see growing in these things. This is all there is. And you know, when you, when you have even slight manifestations of change in your heart and you do something you wouldn't have normally done because of the fruit of the Spirit, do you know what? You feel such an affirmation of the Holy Spirit. Even if it doesn't look like it's all gone right. In fact, you've suffered for doing right. The sense of Jesus going, well done. You acted right. And knowing, well, Lord, in the way, in the end, you can do anything that you want. You can turn circumstances around in a moment. All things are possible. You need to believe in the God who says all things are possible for me in order to trust him to walk in the fruit. I mean, Jesus on the cross was a product of the perfect fruit of the Spirit in his life and the perfect trust. God, I'm going to die. I'm going to be kind, generous, patient, faithful, goodness, self-control. I'm going to do all this. And although I'm going to die doing it, because everybody else has got, is full of envy, hatred, bitterness against me, the Son of God. Everybody hates me. It's, it's flesh against spirit in the final showdown. That's what the Gospels is. It's the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus, against the flesh, sinful man and, and the enemy. And Jesus just goes in and he will not fight back. He will not turn the other cheek. He says, I, I, I trust my father to set things right. My, dad is, my daddy is bigger than your daddy, the devil. And my daddy's going to sort this out. And my daddy said, just act right, son. Just do what you know to be right, son, and I'll look after you. Do you trust me? And Jesus said, I trust you this much. And he was killed and crucified and beaten and whipped. And all the anger and envy and everything that the flesh could throw at him, he took on Calvary. He died. But don't you know, on the third day, the Father raised him up? You see, that's what it means to crucify the flesh. Not, oh, try harder. It means go to the Father and trust him and know that even if it looks like you're losing because you're trusting God, God can do whatever God can do. In the end, you can't lose if you go God's way. And also, the world won't be able to touch you when you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Because you'll no longer be playing according to their rules. That's what they want. The world wants you to play according to its rules. Satan wants you back in his game. Biting and devouring and fighting and hating and envying. And every time you come across fleshly Christians, there's plenty of them about, and and maybe we are too, but we're trying to put things in order, aren't we? And that's You meet fleshly Christians, they'll come to you with their demands and their rights and all this stuff. And, and the temptation is to give them back what they're giving to you, to sort it out. And God says, don't do that. Trust me. Pray over the situation. Your will be done. Your kingdom come in heaven as it is on earth. Not their will be done. They can't make things happen by the flesh, Lord. They can't overcome you by the flesh. And therefore, I pray, Lord, that your will be done in this circumstance I'm in. And that frees me to try and grow in the fruits of patience, peaceable Instead of fighting back, I'll try and bring a peaceful reconciliation. I have a heart of reconciliation instead of a heart of fight. You hear what I'm saying, people? 
The world needs the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit more than anything else. Now, we've got peaceable, and then we've got gentle. This is also, uh, the wisdom from above is gentle. It's peaceable, sorry, the wisdom of it is first pure, then peaceable. I've been speaking about that. Ridding yourself of selfish ambition and jealousy will go a long way to making you an agreeable person. You won't be contentious in your approach or overly defensive and protective in your reactions. You'll be looking for a solution for everyone and not just yourself. You'll be primarily be taking your problems to God to solve and not have unrealistic expectations of others to solve them for you. Getting angry and bitter when they don't. You'll be a source of healing and wholeness instead of a source of wounding and breaking things up like a bull in a china shop. Peaceable. Gentle. Gentleness is strength under control. It's having the power to, it's having the power to force, crush, or demand from someone, but refusing to do it. What a wonderful thing it is to be a gentleman or a gentle lady. A wise person never uses their authority or power for selfish gain. If you do, you're operating in earthly wisdom. The Son of Man came to serve and not to be served. And the greatest in the kingdom of God is one who uses his power to serve others and not abuse them. This is why our purifying of motivations is so important to start with. Next, open to reason. The power of an open mind and heart can keep your options open in any given situation or with any individual. A closed mind has already made up its opinion about something or someone and it's a very dangerous thing. Have you ever been wrong about someone? I have. Have you ever misjudged a situation? I have. Have you ever prejudiced an outcome? I have. We all have. Don't refuse to listen to the other side of the argument or step into... Uh, uh, you need to step into the shoes of the person you're having the problems with or you'll become like the Christians we're going to read in James 4. I'm just reading from a book. It sounds quite good, doesn't it? A few typos there. I'm just, next, full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is what we're to be like in daily life, in the workplace. I am convinced there is a correlation between giving mercy and receiving mercy in our circumstances. We ask the Father to forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And we are told that we will be judged with the same measure that we judge others. My God. If you go around in your heart judging people, God will judge you in the same way. There is much we need to learn as we grow in the kingdom of God, but we need to learn this, that the way that we treat people is very often the way that God will treat us in daily life. And I have seen that. I have seen that. I have seen merciful people get into difficult situations, but it's amazing how God's mercy brings them out. Amazing how God's mercy redeems the situation. I have seen unmerciful people, people who are hard and judge, judgmental. I have seen such people, and one day their day comes, do you know what I mean? I mean, for so long it looks like butter wouldn't melt in them. One day it comes along, and when it comes along, it doesn't, what happens, there's no mercy on it. There's very little mercy. Why? Because God says, all right, now it's your turn. This is how you treat others. This is how you think of others in your heart. So now you have a dose of it. It's meant to bring them to a place of repentance. Then it says, after uh, mercy, and we're nearly finished for this section, just giving you a flavour of these things. Mercy, full of mercy, look, and good fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, the church in James were already being rebuked because what they were doing, rich people were getting the attention. Famous people were getting the attention. Why? Because that rich person's got something that I need. That rich person's got something I need. That rich person's got something I need for the church. That rich person, that rich person has got resources that I need. That poor person's got nothing. Why would I spend time with them? What am I going to get out of it? All that poor person's going to do is take from me. <laughs> so let, let's, let's look after the rich, the resourceful, the powerful, and those nobodies. 
well, let's forget them. They can look after themselves. I haven't got time to spend with you because you've got nothing to give to me, but you, you're rich, famous, powerful, influential. Can we have a selfie together? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so the problem was is they'd been impartial. And the reason was is that they weren't seeking God for their needs. We can't treat people with double standards just because we don't like them or, our, or they're not our friends. Jesus says, what credit is to you if you love those that love you? What credit is you if you hang out with those that love to hang out with you? What about the people that you don't like? What about the people that it's hard to be around? They're the people that will grow the fruit of the Spirit in you quicker than anybody else. Sincere, finally. This word sincere can also be translated genuine. And this is what God wants us all to be. He wants us to be the genuine article, not counterfeit. Genuine. True wisdom is not hypocritical, two-faced, or plastic. The traits are the fruit of the Holy Spirit himself. And so today I've just been trying to give you a feel of this subject. I mean, I had hoped, and maybe I will next week, might just extend this. I was going to go into some of these words I have done in James, but go back to... Because some of these words, like gentle, mean something totally different than you might think of. They're far more powerful in the, the, the New Testament Greek that they're written. I think I might do, do that a little bit. Because this, this, I can't think of any more important subject to teach you today except the basics of the gospel and the cross. I can't think of anything more. Because I think that this is what this... If we, including me with you, I'm no, nowhere near am I imperfect in these things, but... I hope you can see I'm trying to get my eye on the ball. I'm not claiming anything before you today. I'm not claiming this fruit or that fruit. I'm not claiming even to be an example. All I'm saying is I've got my eyes on the ball. I've got my eyes on what God's eyes are on. And I'm hoping it's going to make a difference in my life. And quite frankly, I don't want anything else but this. Everything else fails. Everything else is meaningless. Everything else I can get in the world. This is what I want. This is what I want to grow in. This is what I desire, and this is what my... And I believe that if we're looking for a deep work, like Colin's been speaking about, if we're looking at making a difference to the world, then God, I believe, really wants to do this right through his church from top to bottom, that we get the eye on what his eye is on, and we get our priorities on what his priorities is on, so that he can do that great work of the Spirit in our hearts, and then he can trust us, the power, the miracles, (laughs) the multitudes... If we're strong in, 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 in the fruit of the Spirit, those things we'll be able to handle. But if we're weak in the fruits of the Spirit, the moment we get some power, we, we, we will just get corrupted. The moment we get that job, into, that, that rise, or the moment we get that place of influence, or the moment our circumstances change, because we're not rooted and growing the fruit of God, we'll just be like a spoiled child. God is withholding his power because he's wanting to do a deeper work in our lives. If he does a sufficient deepening work in our lives, then the blessings and everything he wants to give us, we'll be able to look after. God said to me once, and this I finished, he said, when I went through a a test and I came through relatively well, he said, well done, you came through that test, but you're not ready for the big test. I said, what's the big test? He said, you're not ready for the test of my blessing. Think about that. Because he was talking about the fruit of the Spirit. God bless you. May see some of you at the fire service later on. Thanks, Scott.